Hello again and welcome back to another episode of the Divine Lantern. We are so glad that you could tune in today. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and I'm your host for the week, where we are joined by Khudiyeh Mandi, who will be discussing morning and evening prayer routines with the children. This will be followed by a Did You Know segment and we will then conclude with a continuation of our series on the monasteries of our Patriarchate. Khudiyeh Mandi, over to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Firstly, I'd like to thank our Chief Shepherd, His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, and the Divine Lantern team for giving me this opportunity to speak on this enlightening podcast. My name is Khuriyi Mandi Saba, the wife of Father Philip Saba from St. Nicholas Punchbowl in New South Wales. My fellow Khuriyis have done an amazing job at offering practical advice on creating a domestic church or little church at home. Though I am no expert, I will do my best to share with you my limited experience on creating a morning and evening prayer routine with our children. Our purpose in life is to commune with God. One of the greatest ways to do this is through prayer. After all, in prayer, we communicate with God. We speak to Him, and like any other relationship, good communication equals a good relationship. St. John Chrysostom says, As trees cannot live without water, so man's soul cannot live without prayerful contact with God. We need to teach our children from a young age that our God is a personal God. We can and should have a relationship with Him. We should turn to our Heavenly Father, just like we turn to our earthly parents for help, advice and their blessing. Nothing in our lives should take priority over God, and for this reason, we should both start and end our day in conversation with Him. But where do we begin? Teaching our children to pray should start from before they've entered the world, from the moment a woman finds out she is pregnant. Did you know that at six months prenatal, your baby begins to hear your voice? St. Porphyrios says, what saves and makes for good children is the life of the parents in the home. So, if we ourselves have established a morning and evening prayer routine, we've already begun to introduce prayer to our child. From when our baby enters the world, we can begin their personal routine. Carrying out any routine with a newborn is hard, let alone a prayer routine. Try setting little goals first. We can start as simple as saying the Lord's Prayer to our baby every night when we put him or her to sleep. We start and finish by doing the sign of the cross over them and can even chant them to sleep. From experience, I can assure you that when they start speaking, they will join in with you, saying a few words, and before you know it, they will be reciting the whole prayer by themselves. As our children get older, routines should get easier. Why? Because every child already has a routine. They wake up, they fix their bed, brush their teeth, have breakfast, and get ready for daycare or school. As Orthodox Christians, 
we should be encouraging our children to include prayer into that routine, or more so, making it a priority in their routine. I have three children, ages six and under, and they have established a morning prayer routine. They know that when they wake up, the first question we ask them is, have you said your prayers? Followed by, have you had some holy water? This has helped them to understand that we start our day with God. When they wake up, we all go over to their prayer corner to say our morning prayers. Most of the time now, my six-year-old son Jonah is the one encouraging his two-and-a-half-year-old sister Kira to come and say the prayers. There are set morning prayers that Orthodox Christians should start their day with, but since we are dealing with little children, Abuna and I found it beneficial to start slow and introduce prayers one at a time once they have fully learnt the previous prayer. For example, we started off with saying, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Followed by the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven. That was the morning prayer. Once they could confidently say it on their own, we added another prayer, this time for the Virgin Mary. Rejoice, O Virgin Theotokos, Mary full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, for you gave birth to the Saviour of our souls. This helped us teach them that we pray to God first, followed by the Mother of God and the saints, asking for their intercessions. Once they were able to recite this prayer as part of their routine, we decided to add the Jesus Prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, repeated three times, introducing them to one of the most fundamental prayers they will use for the rest of their lives. This is what has worked for us. But of course, you can choose to say different prayers after the Our Father. If you have older children who can read, the Archdiocese has an amazing resource called My Orthodox Prayer Book, which you can purchase from its website, www.antiochian.org.au. This book sets out for you morning prayers, evening prayers, and other various prayers. As soon as Jonah could read, we incorporated the opening prayers and morning prayers found on pages four and six of this book into their morning routine, and he has enjoyed this immensely. In addition to all this, when the church is celebrating a great feast day, like the Nativity of Christ or Pascha, we like to end our morning prayers chanting the Traparion for that feast. For example, for 40 days after Pascha, my children's prayer routine always ended with chanting, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down the spiders, and to those in the tomb bestowing life. Adding music to their prayers made it more exciting and also helped them to participate at church services. I warn you though, they might get a little upset when the feast is over and you stop chanting it. But just remind them about the next feast that is coming up. And there's always next year. The Archdiocese also has another resource titled Out of the Mouths of Infants, a CD designed to teach all the major feast Traparians to children, which is also available on the Archdiocese website and includes a lyric booklet. In the same way we teach our children to start the day with God, we should also encourage them to end the day in conversation with him, 
giving thanks for the day that has passed. If you are using the My Orthodox Prayer Book, you can start with the opening prayers on page 4, followed by the evening prayers on page 8. We only just began to use these prayers. Before my children could read, we would use the same prayer routine as in the morning, that is, in the name of the Father, followed by the Lord's Prayer, Rejoice, O Virgin Theotokos, and the Jesus Prayer. But to make it a bit different, we would encourage the children to speak personally to God at the end of the prayers. For example, just the other day, Jonah ended his prayers with, Dear God, thank you for today and letting me see my tater. I'm sorry for not listening to my mum and fighting with my sister. Please take care of all the sick people and the homeless, and please help me not to have any bad dreams. Amen. We have found that giving them an opportunity to add a personal prayer is a great way to teach our children that God is listening and that we can have a relationship with him. Most importantly, we need to be the best example to our children. We can't preach morning and evening prayer routines if we aren't doing them ourselves. As American author Robert Fulgham says, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. Children will always model their behavior off their parents. So let us always remember to take care of our own spiritual lives, no matter how busy we are or how hard it gets, especially with young children. May your efforts be blessed by God. Amen. Thank you, Khudir, for that very informative talk. And now a series of readings from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our Holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. The person struggling to enter the Kingdom of God must excel in works of righteousness, in almsgiving by providing out of his own paucity and in suffering for the sake of peace by responding to trials with patient endurance in the Lord. Ilias the Presbyter A wise man is one who accepts advice, especially that of a spiritual father, counselling him in accordance with the will of God. St. Thalassios the Libyan The soul that is poor in spirit is aware of its own wounds, perceives the encompassing darkness of the passions, and always calls upon the Lord for deliverance. It endures suffering and does not delight in any of the good things of this world, but seeks out only the good doctor and entrusts itself to his treatment. St. Simeon Metaphrastus On October 23rd, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Holy Hieromata and Apostle James, the brother of God and first bishop of Jerusalem. Of him condemned the wood thou art called the brother, dying for his sake with a piece of wood beaten. On the 23rd they smote with wood God's goodly brother. James is called God's brother because he was the son of the righteous Joseph, the betrothed of the most holy Theotokos. He greatly loved Jesus. 
According to tradition, James traveled to Egypt with the Most Holy Virgin and Joseph when Herod sought to slay the newborn king. The Lord numbered James among his 70 apostles and he compiled the first liturgy. James was Bishop of Jerusalem for 30 years and converted many Jews and Greeks to the Christian faith. When Ananias became high priest, he and other Jewish elders determined to kill James during the Feast of Passover. They forced James to climb onto the roof of the temple and tried to make him speak against Christ. Instead, he spoke of Christ as the Son of God and the true Messiah and of his resurrection. The infuriated priests and elders pushed him off the roof, but he survived. Then one man ran up and struck James on the head with a fuller's club, and thus this most glorious apostle died a martyr's death. On October 23rd, we also commemorate Ignatius, Patriarch of Constantinople, and James of Borovici, wonder worker of Novgorod. By their intercessions, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. Do you know much about icons? Answer after the break.
In the Orthodox Church, an icon is a sacred image, a window into heaven. Icons are beyond space and time, and take us to another place, another time, with other people. More than art, icons have an important spiritual role. The primary purpose of the icon is to aid in worship. The word comes from the Greek word ikon. So icon simply means image, likeness, or representation. However, the concept of holy icon is used in the Christian tradition to characterize not just any image or representation, but more specifically, the depiction of Christ, the Mother of God, a saint, or an event from the sacred history of our church. Icons are used to help teach the faithful about God. They aid the faithful in prayer and meditation on the person or significance of the event depicted. Icons keep the mind from wandering and help focus one's attention on prayer. They also serve as a reminder to all the Orthodox of God's omnipresence and imminence in the world. Did you know that colours play an important role in Orthodox iconography? White means divine light and purity. Blue is the colour of the Kingdom of God. Red symbolises life on earth. Purple is the colour of royalty. Gold is reserved for Jesus Christ. Black is a symbol of evil and death, and green is the colour of hope and eternal life. Therefore, when we see an icon, we're not just seeing an illustration of how a saint might have looked, but what we're actually seeing is a representation of the saint's journey to salvation. The following segment, Monasteries of Our Patriarchate, will take you on a journey through the profound Orthodox monasteries specific to Antioch and all the East. We hope you gain greater insight and appreciation into the geography, history, contributions, miraculous recounts and spiritual guidance these revered sites and their inhabitants provide for the nourishment of the wider Orthodox community. The Patriarchal Monasteries of Sednaya, Convent of Our Lady. Sednaya's origin is lost in time. Some remains from the classical period have been found, including temple ruins and Greek inscriptions. The Gullamon region received Christianity in the time of St. Paul, and the Aramaic language spoken by its inhabitants until the 12th century is derived from the language spoken at the time of Christ. Melkite manuscripts in Syriac were written at Sednaya until the 18th century. The influence of Aramaic is noticeable in the Arabic dialect used by the people of Sednaya and the neighbouring people of Christian Malula and two other villages, once Christian but now Muslim, continue to speak the Aramaic language. The people of Kalamon stubbornly preserve their authentic tradition and their ties to early Christianity. According to tradition, the monastery was built by the Emperor Justinian I, Legend relates that while the emperor was hunting in the Gallimon region, he saw a vision of the Virgin Mary, who ordered him to build a convent on the high rock upon which she was standing. The next day, Justinian began work on the foundations of the convent of Sednaya, and when it was completed, the emperor's sister, Theodosia, became its first superior. 
There is no contemporary evidence, however, that Justinian founded the convent. The walls of Sednaya have no trace of 6th century origin, and Procopius of Caesarea, the companion and official historian of Justinian, does not mention the foundation of the convent. Medieval Christian historians make no mention of Justinian, recording instead that the convent was founded by a widow of Damascus during the Byzantine period who withdrew to lead a hermit's life in Gullamon. Without firm evidence connecting Sednaya to the relatively well-documented early Byzantine period, it remains impossible to speak with certainty about the origin of the convent. The famous icon of the Virgin at Sednaya, the Shaghura, is attributed to the hand of St. Luke the Evangelist, doctor and painter. Luke is traditionally regarded as the first icon painter who painted three miraculous icons of the Virgin after Pentecost in the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. This tradition dates from the iconoclastic controversy of the 8th and early 9th centuries. Russian travellers give much information about Sednaya's history. During the early Ottoman period, the convent was abandoned by monks and inhabited only by nuns because of the heavy taxation imposed by the authorities. In 1560, the patriarch Joachim ibn Jum'ah wrote to the Tsar of Russia, Ivan IV the Terrible, requesting assistance for Sednaya. Thirty years later, a monk brought 120 pieces of gold from the Tsar to the 60 nuns at Sydnaya. A traveller who visited Syria in 1825 tells that only two years beforehand the convent had narrowly escaped destruction in retaliation for the Greek Declaration of Independence in 1821. In 1840, the Russian consul Upensky saw 38 nuns at Sydnaya and noted that the convent's revenues went to the Patriarchate. In his time, many smaller neighbouring monasteries such as those of St. Barbara, St. George, St. Thomas and St. Christopher were affiliated to Our Lady of Zednaya. A large number of Syriac manuscripts preserved at the convent were burned at the start of the 19th century. The perpetrators intended to prevent Jacobites' claims to ownership of the convent and indeed to efface memory of the Syriac language, which was still heard at Zednaya by the 18th century travellers such as Brown, Ritter and Voldny. The nuns of Sydney have always been dedicated to hard work. In the 18th and 19th centuries, they worked especially in silk cultivation. Sydney lies in the district of Damascus at an altitude of 1,350 metres, about 25 kilometres north of Damascus on the slopes of Mount Gullamon. The town was frequently praised by visitors for its beauty. In recent times, however, it has become congested with drab apartment blocks. The Syrian town of Sidnaya has more than 40 churches, chapels and monasteries. The most prominent among them is the Convent of the Virgin Mary, one of the most important institutions of the Patriarchate of Antioch. Since the Middle Ages, most pilgrims and travellers on their way to the Holy Land would stop at Sidnaya in order to pray before the miraculous icon of the Virgin and to receive her blessing. According to tradition, this image was painted by St. Luke himself, and many miracles have been attributed to it in the course of time. The convent of Sidnaya is specially distinguished for its hospitality. Orthodox families of Damascus and other cities traditionally spend the summer there. The convent maintains an orphanage for girls which recently housed 37 orphans. It is managed by five religious, director Sister Fabronia. In 1948, the mother superior, Maria Hassoun El Maluf from Bikfaya in Lebanon, 
founded a school for the nuns and established an order consisting of pupils from the orphanage. The school was officially recognised in 1950 and it offers a scientific diploma accredited by the Patriarchate. Since medieval times, the nuns have worn garments of wool and cotton bound at the waist by a large leather belt. Each nun is assigned her own cell for the duration of her residence and she is responsible for its furnishing and maintenance. It normally has a small kitchen and bathroom attached. The convent celebrates the feast of the Mother of God each year on her birthday, the 8th of September. This is an exceptional day for the whole town, which is filled with visitors from all over Syria and Lebanon. They are welcomed by the inhabitants of Sednaya, who sometimes leave their own homes to visitors while they go out into the street to join the crowd of believers. Following tradition, the Mother Superior sends a group of people bearing a banner of the Holy Cross to welcome visitors at the column in the centre of the town. All the pilgrims gather here to begin the procession with the banner in front, singing hymns and lighting fireworks. A special fasting period of eight days is observed throughout the Patriarchate of Antioch in honour of the convent of Sednaya. Apart from such great pilgrimages, individual pilgrims frequently visit for a few days. Visitors come from all over Syria, Lebanon and Jordan, and even from Western countries to pray to the Mother of God and receive her blessing. Many Christian Arab families customarily make vows to baptise their children at Sidnaya, and the Christian Jordanian tribes come regularly in September to baptise all infants born to them during the preceding year. The practice of hospitality still survives in the rule fixed to the doors of all the visitors' cells, and the traveller who spends the night is asked to leave a donation of his choice in return for the maintenance of the convent. During its long life, the convent has undergone constant alteration, but the dominant style of architecture belongs to the end of the Ottoman period and the early 20th century. Three sections of the convent, however, belong to the medieval period the Shakhura, or Church of the Virgin, which houses the ancient icon, the lower floor, including the kitchen and cellars, and the vaulted room below the nuns' cells. These were all built directly upon the bedrock, which is visible in the passage leading to the Shakhura. The Shakhura Sanctuary The Shakhura Chapel is plunged in semi-darkness. It is a small room with a low, vaulted ceiling and walls covered with icons, most of them blackened by the smoke of candles. Gold and silver-plated lamps are suspended from the ceiling. The ancient icons are mostly revetted in silver, with carved frames of gilded wood. Dozens of candles, the only source of light, flicker on a table and in the chandeliers. A white curtain screens a little niche closed by a silver grill hung with gold and silver chains, bracelets and necklaces, and many crosses, all gifts offered from the most ancient of times. Behind this grill is a famous miraculous icon of the Virgin, reputed to be the work of St. Luke the Evangelist. In Syriac, Shakhura means the renowned, or the illustrious. It can also mean the source, a fitting attribute of the Mother of God since a Christian religion was transmitted to mankind through her. The Convent Church The present church is a modern construction restored by Patriarch Herothios, after its destruction during the 1860 massacres. Almost nothing remains of the ancient church, the one known by Crusader pilgrims. The earliest descriptions dating from the 14th to the 16th centuries describe the church as a basilica of three naves with two arcades of six arches on each side, a vaulted ceiling and a mosaic pavement floor. 
but iconostasis at the east end of the nave was covered with icons and the walls of the apse were decorated with beautiful images. Although the stone vaults were certainly of medieval origin, the mosaic pavement indicates that the church was initially built during the Byzantine period, between the 4th and 6th centuries, which corroborates the legend of its foundation. The earthquake of 1759 demolished a large part of the church and the entire ceiling collapsed. It was rebuilt in 1762 and underwent further alterations in 1810. A final and complete restoration was made after the destruction of 1860. The interior is filled with candles, pulpits, benches and icons, recessed in marble frames or installed beneath canopies. A staircase ascends to the octagonal platform, whose sides are adorned with icons representing the four evangelists and Christ enthroned. Above Christ is the sculpture of a double-headed eagle, the symbol of the Byzantine Empire and Orthodoxy. A large iconostasis of finely carved wood runs across the width of the three naves. Of majestic beauty, its icons date mostly from the 19th century. Other buildings. The convent museum lies on the site of the old church of St. Demetrios, to the right of the church behind a large black grill. Several rooms have been refurbished in recent years in order to display the convent's rich collection of icons and other religious objects, which are mostly donations from pilgrims and other faithful dating from the 17th century. Two glass cabinets display sumptuous episcopal vestments of embroidered cloth of gold. Other cabinets contain religious objects of gold or silver, including crosses, thuribles, chalices, chandeliers and reliquaries. One room contains precious ancient manuscripts and sacred liturgical objects transferred by Antiochian patriarchs during the 20th century. Among the most interesting objects is the Epitaphion of Christ, which is used once a year on Good Friday. It is lavishly decorated with cloth flowers and pearl necklaces. The wooden cover features an icon representing the face of Christ in the tomb, with his mother and St John lamenting on either side. The Shakura icon is never shown to visitors, however, a number of descriptions by medieval visitors have survived. The first was left by a pilgrim named Gerard in 1175. In this church, I saw an image painted on wood, an L in length and half an L in width, in a window of the sanctuary and strongly guarded by an iron grill. It was an image of the Blessed Virgin. But now, wonderful to tell, the painting is incarnate upon the wood and oil more fragrant than balm streams from it without cease. A multitude of Christians, Saracens and Jews have been cured of various illnesses by this oil. And note that this oil never diminishes, no matter how much is taken. No one dares to touch this painting, but all can see it. The oil is religiously conserved and when one takes it with devotion and faith, in honour of the Holy Virgin and with due reverence, one obtains unfailingly whatever one asks for. On the days of her Assumption and her glorious nativity, all the Saracens of the surrounding areas throng to this place in order to pray there with the Christians and to offer their gifts in devotion. Furthermore, miracle in Syria was first reported in December 2004 when a Saudi Arabian Muslim man appeared live on TV, the internet, radio, various printed media and pamphlets in Saudi Arabia, Syria, Palestine and various other countries, stating that he had been decapitated by his taxi driver and miraculously healed by the Theotokos.
Thank you all for tuning in to another installment of The Divine Lantern. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and don't forget to share with your friends and family. We would like to announce that there will be a vigil for St. Demetrios held at the parish of St. Mary's Domitian in Mount Pritchard on the 25th of October at 6.30pm. To know more about the upcoming events within our Archdiocese, please visit antiochian.org.au. Have a blessed day and catch you next week.